Welcome. My name is Dr. Christopher Taylor, and I want you to know that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to feel lost, and that it's okay to struggle, that we all struggle. But today, none of that matters, because today is about you, and today is about helping you become the best you possible. So for now, relax, take a deep breath, and enjoy some thoughts for your self-examination. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Taylor. This is for self-examination. Today's episode is uh, really exciting. Uh, it's it's an interview that I was um, really kind of inspired this series on happiness, uh, and the concept of happiness as a battery. Uh, so I'm really excited to welcome Matthew Robinson to the show. Uh, and I'm not really going to waste a lot of time uh, telling you about him and his story, uh, because, um, his life is, uh, very interesting and, um, his journey through recovery and his struggle with boundaries in a family business are, uh, quite inspiring. Um, so I really don't want to talk too much or take too much away from it. So we're going to go into the interview right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of For Self-Examination is brought to you by the Empathy App, the app made by therapists to help you find your path. Hi, I'm Jerry, and I want to congratulate you for taking the first step on your path to a better you. Sometimes we feel a little overwhelmed, whether it is with feelings of sadness or worry or anger. Our emotions can feel a little too much at times, and that's okay. Welcome to Empathy. You can find the Empathy app on any iOS and Android device at the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. You can also download the app through the website empathicholdings.com. Download the app today and get started down your path. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we are here with Matthew Robinson. Uh, Matt, do you want to give us like a brief intro about you? Sure. Um, I am in the logistics field. Um, I work in a family business. I run a family business, I should say, uh, freight brokerage and trucking company. Um, I guess more to the, the point here, um, I'm in recovery. I've been sober for eight years, uh, recovered from opiate pain medications and alcohol and anything else under the sun that made me feel good. Um, yeah, working through every single day, trying to be a better person and uh, trying to get work done in the process. Thank you for sharing that with us, Matt. It's, uh, I definitely want to get into your story in a little bit because it's such a wonderful story. Uh, your recovery is so amazing. Um, but I love this this idea of, of talking first about you being in a family business and, and being in the field of logistics as a as a you know fellow business owner, a friend of mine. I know that uh, that can be extremely stressful. 
and as we're talking about the concept of happiness, um, do you feel like working with your family, uh, so integrated into a family system is, has helped you to be more happy or, or less happy? I would say in general, it's probably more challenging than it is rewarding uh, as a whole. Like there are days where I'm so incredibly grateful that I get to work with my father. Like that's the big one for me. I get to see my dad every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's 61 years old. And you think about you know, how many how many more moments do you have with your your parents? And so it's amazing to be, sp- be able to spend time with him. And then my brothers as well. Um, that part of it's really cool. But then when there is resistance or when there's... Um, you know, any kind of altercation or argument with family, it's much more difficult because you know, I can, I can say something to a, to an employee if I get onto them and it's, I don't think about it at night. I don't think twice about it. It's just, that's just business. But when it's your family, things change a little bit, you know, you have to be careful about the way you choose your words. And so uh, just, just in that act of having to really think through is instead of just reacting how I normally would, it's, it causes more stress than normal. Uh, and the rewards, you know, it's it's rewarding because of the time you get to spend with these people, but it's a lot more difficult working in a family business than it is, I think, with with just strangers, <laughs> just people that you hire and bring in, you know, yeah. it's, it's difficult. Well, it's interesting. One of the things we really talk about uh, when it comes to happiness and our capacity for happiness is boundaries. Uh, so it sounds like that's a very important component if you are going to work alongside family. I would say that's, that is true. Yeah. Um, having boundaries and having defined limits for what is, you know, what's allowable, um, and what's not, it's, it's never something that I've really discussed. It's kind of been sort of like a tribal knowledge thing. Like if you know, you know, um, so when it comes to work, it's very much understood that things can be said here. Things can be discussed here. Arguments can be had here that don't apply after five o'clock and with some people in the family that's very clear it's very easy to get through with others it is not so much everyone's a little different right so with my brothers and even with my father probably less less with my father we don't have too many arguments but when we do they tend to get a little more personal with my brothers it's you know we've been fighting our whole lives right we used to wail on each other and break each other's faces open and then 30 minutes later it's like hey man you want to go play <laughs> it's just kind of the way it is with brothers, but with your parents, it's a little difficult. And uh, with my mother, especially, it's been very difficult, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I've heard. Uh, what do you, what do you think uh, is uh, attributing to that component of, of it being more difficult with your mom than with others? You know, my, I can't speak for everyone. I don't want to make generalizations, but for my mother, um, my mother didn't have a, a great childhood and she didn't have a, a strong family unit. And so for her having this, I would say stereotypical kind of nuclear family has always been important to her, you know, but we have been anything but that. Um, my mother, my father have been estranged, I would say since 2001, they're still technically married, but they don't live together and they haven't since 2001. Um, they're together for reasons that deal with taxes and business and ownership and equity and all those kinds of things, but not really because our families, they don't love each other. I wouldn't say, you know, maybe in the sense that they had children together and they share memories, but they're not looking out for each other on a daily basis. And so 
uh, our family's been broken for a long, long time, but for her, it's, it's very, very personal when it comes to being included in things and feeling like she matters and feeling like, um, you know, that, that, that we're this strong family unit that she's desired her whole life. And we're just not, and that's the fact of the matter. We're just not, our family screwed up like a lot of them out there. I'm not ashamed to say it. It's just the way it is. You know, we do our best, but things are kind of broken. And so for her, uh, when it comes to business, um, these, these conversations are never anything but personal. So if there's a disagreement about um, anything, payroll, um, decision, operational decision made within the business, you know, vendor selection, it can be anything at all. If there's any sort of tension, it is automatically personal. There's no such thing as a business conversation with my mother. And I think that's just because she, she has this fragile image of what a family ought to be. And anything that doesn't fit in that nice little neat box, it's just, she doesn't know how to process it, doesn't know how to deal with it. And so we have a lot of issues when it comes to running the business day to day. And that bleeds into personal life as well. It's, uh, it's difficult with her. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying that uh, the struggle setting and maintaining those healthy boundaries at work uh, makes the personal side of the relationship even more challenging. Very much so. Yeah. It's, it's tough to set boundaries with some people. Um, you know, you, you can put them up, but if they're not being followed, you know, you, you have to stick to your boundaries as well. So if I say, this is my boundary and you break it. Okay. Then what is, what is my choice to be next? Right. Do I, do I just step away from the business? Do I, you know, it's, it's tough because you have, I have a fiduciary duty to the company and I don't want to overlook the beauty of the forest because a tree's ugly, but at the same time, you know, I've got boundaries in place and they're there for a reason to keep me happy, to keep it all of us healthy, really, uh, to keep the business healthy. And it's really difficult. And I have, I don't have a good answer for what that looks like in my life, because I would say I'm pretty bad about setting boundaries with her and sticking to them because I'm still here, (laughs) right? She's broken every possible boundary in my life, professionally and personally, but here I am, right? Here I am at my computer slaving away, uh, running the supply chain for all you fine folks. (laughs) Thank you for that, Matt. We, You're welcome. Our Christmas presents are, are very, very grateful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Matt Matt uh, runs a logistics and uh, trucking company. So uh, uh, their hard work is keeping our uh, Christmas packages on the road this, this year. So thank you. For They're going to be late in advance. I'm sorry. <laughs> Order now. Order now. <laughs> well, look, uh, one of the things I, I, you know, that we're really trying to explore here, this, uh, these four concepts of happiness, which which act as kind of like a battery, which has capacity and charge. And so these cells of happiness, of boundaries, relationships, identity, and gratitude. Uh, and, and it sounds like you're speaking really heavily to these first two components of, of managing these healthy relationships with your family, with your coworkers, uh, with your nuclear family, um, with you know, your wife and, and, and uh, a child. You have, you have two kids or no kids? Two. Two kids. Two kids. Uh, and, um, and managing that while, while applying healthy boundaries to that area. So I'm curious when you find that, that your boundaries are being heavily challenged, do you, do you, does that wear on you? Do you kind of take that home? Do you feel like your ability to be happy is, is sort of taxed more? Yeah, I do. You know, for the longest time I was able to manage the chaos very well, um, I would have chaos at home or at work and I would take it home and I could share this with my family and my wife really. And, and even my brothers to an extent. 
And then um, it sort of becomes sort of becomes like it's its own thing where it's just, it kind of became the center of my life at some point. I'm not sure when that happened, but it did where the, the tension became so big that it it took on a life of its own and it became the only thing that I really knew. Um, And this happened within the last year, you know, we had, we had some really big fights in 20 and I don't think that I'm unique in the fact that last year was really difficult and stressful and it was tough on relationships and the life changed for a lot of people in so many ways that are sometimes hard to define. Like, why was it so hard? Like just because we couldn't go out and do things like there's more to it than that. I haven't quite put my finger on it yet, but it just, everything felt, everything felt more painful. Everything felt bigger. Everything, everyone's nerves were so raw. And there were some things that transpired last year that, that made things really difficult. And I've got this terrible habit of taking my work home. And part of it's because it is a family business. And so everyone, I'm so used to talking openly about business with my family, including my wife. And we've been together for 20 years. So, you know, sorry, Paige, but I don't have anyone else to talk to about these things. Like I know no one but you. It just, so I was coming home and I was sharing this stuff and I didn't realize it, but I was breaking one of her boundaries, you know, which is this work-life separation. And you know, God bless her. She's listening to me and she's caring and she's understanding, but I'm like venting nonstop. And it just became our lives. And, um, I kind of infected us both, I think in a lot of ways. And that, that brought this whole new component into our marriage that made things more difficult. Um, you know, I, I forgot your original question or where I was going with that, but, but that's, that's kind of what transpired in the last year where this, you know, breaking these boundaries and trying to stay happy in the middle of them. I used to be better at it than I am now, but it's my, it's a, it's my own fault. Um, without realizing it, I was bringing the stuff home and, and kind of infecting everyone around me with, with all the toxicity of the workplace. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it kind of cut the entire family into pieces. You know, now it's worth the point where um, I've got boundaries that, are very, very firm and, and having really firm boundaries. That means, you know, you take some drastic steps sometimes. So I don't see people as much as I normally do or as we used to. I don't, I don't discuss anything with them at all. It's listen, we just, we discuss things in the business. I'll send you an email. I'll do my duty to the company and to you as in your position professionally. But outside of that, we're not speaking. I, you know, treat some people like that. It's just the way it is. It's the only way I can, it's a defense, you know, I, it's a survival mechanism for me now at this point. Yeah. You know, Matt, one of the things you do very well that I, that I often hear you talk about is, um, you know, just like not dealing with it. You know, you have, you'll, you'll look at your phone and have like a hundred emails and you'll just, you'll just be able to compartmentalize that and say, I don't care if the client's angry or upset, like I, I'm putting in this boundary and we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. This is the way it's got to operate. So I'm, I'm curious with these healthy boundaries that you've created, I know a lot of us struggle between the two, right? Some, some have boundaries that are too firm uh, and that are inflexible and others typically kind of feel like welcome mats where people just walk all over them and, and dump on them all the time. Um, you know, it's very hard to find a balance between the two or, or to find a healthy uh, a state of being with boundaries. Uh, and I know it's not the same with everybody, but I'm curious, do you have any strategies that you can share with us that that help you to kind of be able to not get rattled when a client's yelling at you saying i need my shipment tomorrow 
Uh, or, you know, when you're taking it home, how not to take it home, how not to answer the phone at 10 p.m., you know, those types of things. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm probably I'm probably worse at this than I let on, actually. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I get pulled in every direction all the time. And I think I'm not unique in that, that I feel like everyone needs my attention all the time. If you run a business, you feel that way. You feel it from everything. You feel it from your family. You feel it from your clients. You feel it from your employees, from just about everybody. And it's like, there's some days where you want to do nothing but just crawl into a little hole. And I had to kind of let myself do that to get to a point where it was like, it's okay to ignore the world for a moment. Listen, I just need a moment. I'm not effective if I don't have time to make decisions. And so it, it didn't happen right away. But, you know, as you mature, as you get older, you kind of realize that. And for me, I, I think better if I have a moment to let the world spin around a couple of times. And this this came as part of my recovery as well. Like I, I learned a lot of this through recovery and I should back up a little bit. So when it comes to boundaries, I've never viewed the world as either black or white. Like for me, it's a billion shades of gray and my boundaries sort of operate in that same way. Like it's sort of like a spectrum, right? And depending on the person, it can be really firm. It can be really soft depending on the situation, it can kind of be somewhere in between. So I don't, I wouldn't say I'm consistent. Like um, it's not written in stone by any means. Like with some people, like for instance, um, you know, like with my mother, like I don't, I don't discuss anything personal with her. Um, I'm not on good terms with her whatsoever. I don't like if, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I wouldn't tell her. I don't care. Like we just, we don't speak. But if, if, uh, if there was an issue at work that needed to be addressed, I would email her about it. So it is very much black and white, but you know, there was a death in their family. Um, and I reached out to her and we had a conversation about it. And for those moments, I can let my guard down and just be sort of vulnerable with her because that's what the situation calls for. You know, I don't, I don't have to just be black or white all the time. And when it comes to work, God, that one took forever. And I'm just now getting to the point with the help of, of, of you and others through, you know, this that helped me a lot with this was, you know, drowning, being pulled in every direction and being everything to everyone all the time. I think that, you know, nowadays we're, we're so connected because of these, you know, it's like you, you, right. You feel this urgency to, to be available to everyone all the time. And I'm, I think at, at my core, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser anyway. You know, I'm sort of like this chameleon in a lot of ways that kind of walks around. It's like, what do you need me to be right now? What do you need me to be? And for the longest time, I took pride in the fact that I was able to do that. But if you do that for a long enough period of time, you lose yourself mm. and you'll wake up completely lost, stressed. Who am I even, you know, like I'm, I'm just lukewarm. I'm neither hot or cold. I don't even know who I am anymore. And it's like this. I had a breakdown over it where it was like, I've, I've got to set some sort of boundaries in place because I can't do this anymore. I, I can't be answering emails at three in the morning because if you do that, people come to expect it. I, I can't be the first one to the office every single day and have half the workload knocked out because then people come to expect it. And it all works well. And if you run a business, you know this feeling. We, in a lot of ways, we kind of expect others to be like us, but you can't expect that either. You know, where it's like, why aren't the others picking up the slack? My wife would look at me like, you're an idiot. Like, why would they? They don't have to, Jack wagon you know you don't they don't have to do these things why would they do these things and i was like you know what you're right it's their job to do it i paid them to do it so i had to set this sort of boundaries in a lot of ways like boundaries to me it was like my first foyer into like adulting really adulting like i'm going to set boundaries in my life i'm going to 
allow myself to be this. I'm allow others to do these things. And if there's a violation of any of them, you know, we'll, we'll have a discussion about it. Whereas before, I think as a, as a kid, you know, you're kind of raised to kind of go through the world and you please adults. And that's kind of the way life is. I just figured it out a lot later than most people did, but I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm very confident and comfortable with my skin fits today. So I don't, I don't care what people think about me yeah. when it comes like, especially online email customers and whatnot. Like, I am what I am, and I, I hope you enjoy the service you get from us. But if you don't, that's fine too. You know, we're going to do our best every single day. If you can't trust that, then maybe we ought to part ways. And I'm comfortable doing that now. Whereas before, I was like, "Oh my god, I can't lose them. What would happen if I lost them?" Same way with friends, family members, or anything else. You know, um, if the world fell apart tomorrow, I would be okay. I don't care. I'm <laughs> just comfortable in that. And I, I had to kind of walk through the chaos of it before I came out on the other side of it, okay with it all. This is this is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that because uh, it really does talk into that third component of happiness, which is identity. Uh, and so I love this this concept of like when we don't have firm boundaries or defined boundaries, uh, we tend to be chameleons and do whatever people need from us, and and that puts us into this place where we start to lose our identity, which which also erodes our happiness. We we feel lost. We feel like we don't know who we are. So. I really appreciate that viewpoint. Um, and uh, I want to get into your your recovery here shortly. But first, just gratitude. How do you practice gratitude? Is gratitude a, an important component in your life? Gratitude is one of the most important components of my entire life. Um, this is it's great. This came up. So I guess today's Friday. So on Tuesday, I was having a really difficult day. Just one of those days. I was underslept, overworked. Um you know, everything felt big. Every problem felt big. Every issue felt like I just couldn't handle it. The world just overwhelming. And on, on my worst days, I will literally sit down with a pen and paper and I write a gratitude list. This is something I learned early in recovery where when the world feels like, here, I, it was best put to me by this old guy in an AA meeting in Dallas in like 2014. He said, the bird didn't crap on my windshield. The bird just crapped. He didn't use the word crap, but that's the way he put it was that's how everything always felt to me. It's like, why is everyone doing this to me? It's so unfair. This is not right. Why is everything happening to me? And his point is, it's not happening to you. It's just happening. So for me to make the world feel small again, I write a gratitude list. And it's literally everything that I'm grateful for that I don't deserve. And so I start from the top and it's like, I woke up this morning healthy. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two amazing, healthy kids. I've got a roof over my head. I have a job. I have a place to go today. And it's like you start from the basics. And then before you know it, you've got a hundred things in your list. And it, you stop and you're like, okay, I get it. I get it now. All right. Everything's fine. I don't have any problems. My problems are so small. And then I'm fired up and I'm ready to get after it again. Yeah. And I'm ready to get out there and tackle the world. I'm ready to be useful to others. So whenever I get in this world of selfishness, what's all about me, 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 gratitude helps me get out of that. And it helps me feel like I'm a part of the world again. You know, we're all connected through, through our atoms and vibrations. We are all connected. And it's my job every day to pack into the stream of life, not take from it. And on the days that I take from it to get back to normal, it's, it's simple things. It's making a gratitude list. It's, it's, uh, it's meditation as well. You know, I meditate, I'm a believer in meditation. I get to the gym early before anyone else. And we have a small and private gym. 
um, just for employees here. And, and I'll, I'll meditate, you know, I'll put on meditation music and I'll concentrate on my breathing and everything else. And I don't know what it is about the practice of meditation, but when you come out of it, you just feel connected to everything around you and you feel grateful to be a part of it. It's not all about what can I take from the world today? Yeah. And so, you know, gratitude for us is huge. I mean, even before, before dinner, sometimes we'll say simple prayers. And I've always told my kids, you're not allowed to pray for things like God's not saying a it's not a genie in the sky. And this is just my perspective on it. I'm not saying that those that do, it's, it's not nothing wrong with this. It's just my take on, on spirituality and God. And it's not a genie, right? You don't get to ask for things. Like you don't get to ask even for things for yourself. You don't get to pray that your dad doesn't get cancer tomorrow. All you get to pray for is knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. And you get to think. You can be thankful. That's one thing you can do. You can be thankful to God. And so a lot of times I'll have our kids before dinner. Just give me three things they're, they're grateful for. And practicing gratitude in that way, um, you know, we've got a um, we've got a, a a meditation bowl, and so we'll, we'll ring it, and it you know it has a soothing tone, and it'll ring for 30, 40 seconds, and I just ask that everyone just think about the things that they're grateful for today. So I mean, we we consciously practice gratitude, and uh, without it, those those days that feel too big, and my skin's too raw, and it doesn't fit. They get out of hand. And for me, it gets dangerous because I am a drug recovering drug addict alcoholic. And when I get uncomfortable, I know how to make that go away. And it's not healthy. You know, so for me, like actively practicing gratitude keeps me right sized and it keeps the world the right size. It's it's huge for me. It's it's very, very important to my daily living. Well, that is fantastic. Uh, I love this concept of gratitude as the lens uh, that we view how the world treats us, you know, through like it, it wasn't uh, the, <laughs> I love the bird. Yeah. Like he wasn't here for me. Like he was, he was just doing his thing, you know? Right. Um, and so just be grateful that you have a car that can, you know, the bird can have his way with you. Right. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, very real and raw analogy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I now I, I kind of want to get into the other side um, so we can uh, um, explore the, um, you know, the, uh, the extremes that you've gone through in your life uh, to a place where you were extremely unhappy to a place where you are now happy uh, and interested to learn about that story uh, to the level that you feel comfortable sharing with us. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm always willing to share the story. And I've always said, it's not about, I don't ever like when I'm asked to speak treatment centers and things like that, I'm, I'm always happy to do it because if my message could reach one person and they identify with it and they don't feel alone today, then it's all worth it. So I'm, I'm always happy to, to share my story through, through everything. So um, it really started, I guess um, I was about 11 years old and I broke my ankle playing football, right? As Texas kids, we all play football and um, just running down the field. I was the kicker. How's this happened to a kicker? I don't know. Someone blindside blocked me and I broke my ankle. Like one of those deals where you look down, your foot's going the wrong direction, real bad break. And I had, um, I had surgery that night to fix it. And I was just in massive amount of pain. And I was at an age, I was about 11 or 12 years old. And it was the first time I'd ever really experienced anxiety in my life. Like this is before the break, just going through like middle school, like middle school's the worst, right? Like it's a, it's an awkward age, puberty girls, like suddenly it matters what kind of clothes you're wearing. Like we're not just playing and enjoying life anymore. Like it's just the first time that as a child, you come of age and realize like 
man, the world's kind of a cold, dark place sometimes. And it was really difficult for me. Like I'm stressing out, having nightmares about tests and it's just weird time for me. And I, I wasn't handling it well. So I had this going on and then I have this bad ankle injury. And then I have this magical elixir called hydrocodone in front of me after surgery. It was on my nice. I remember taking it. I never forget. I, I took it and it was suddenly, I just felt like there was a warm fuzzy blanket over my body. It was like Christmas morning. And I was like, man, this is great. I'll just take this forever. This is perfect. I found the solution. Life's done. I'm good to go. You know, that's, that's how I felt. I, I knew at 11 years old that I was going to pursue this. That's how much it connected with me. That feeling, it just fixed every problem that I had. And, but as an 11 year old, you don't have money. You don't have a drug dealer. So like, what do you do? Right. So I just held on to this idea in my mind. So about three years later, it's 14 or 15 years old. I think, um, I was in shop class and a friend of mine had mentioned that his grandmother had had some of these things. And I remembered what they were. I remembered that, you know, this existed. And so I was like, I got to get my hands on these. At this point, I've got access to money. I've got a car. So I started buying them from him. Um, even before I left high school, I was taking like 10 to 15 of these things a day. And then I figured out that if you mixed alcohol with them, it was like chips and queso. It was this wonderful combination where, you know, all my problems were fixed. I had no issues at all. Um, I didn't think much of it though. Like I never felt like I was an addict. I just felt like this was the way that I was going to cope. And it worked for me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't under a bridge with a paper bag and a bottle in it. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, destroying my family. I wasn't hitting anybody. What's the problem. So I just kind of carried on through life and, you know, without divulging too much about my family history, I've got addicts in my family and alcoholics in my family. And the thinking always was that, listen, you can go, you can, if you want to go hard in the paint, that's fine. Just make sure you get your work done. Make sure there's money in the bank. Make sure that you provide for your family. Everything else is fair game. That's how very much how I was raised. And uh, I, I really took that and I ran with it. I didn't, didn't see any problem with it. Right. So I continue through life and into college. Um, my use picks up because everyone's does in college, right? Mine just more so. So if you were at a five, I was at a nine. And once again, if I could maintain grades, then no one would look twice at me. So I maintained like a, I had like a three, nine, seven average GPA through, through college. Like I made like one B ever. And uh, better than me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, it was like this, this feeling, okay, well, I'm carrying great grades. No one's looking at me thinking that guy's got a problem. Everyone knew I partied hard, but it was like, some people can do that, you know? And I just fancied myself as one of those people who could turn it off and turn it on. But I really wasn't. It was just on all the time. So in college, I discovered um, a popular uh, ADHD medication. And so I was sort of doing like, I found this cocktail where I was like pharmaceutical speedballing, right? Where I'd wake up and I'd go up and then to come up or to get down, I would take downers and then I would mix alcohol, marijuana, and anything else I could get my hands on to kind of go to sleep. And it was like this vicious cycle up, down, fade out, up, down, fade out every single day. But I had it down, right? I had a, this was a science to me. I thought that I was like, just better than you at it. I was like, I'm still good. Right. And in the back of my mind, I always assumed that there'd be some event in my life that would kickstart sobriety because I knew that this couldn't continue forever. I wasn't an idiot, but as if through like, sort of like this osmosis process, I would just be given the gift of sobriety and adulthood. And I would just, you know, carry on. So the, the first one for me was like graduating school. I was like, okay, I'll graduate school and 
I'll, I'll, I'll have to get a job and I'll have to get my stuff together. And I just, I won't do this stuff anymore. So graduation came and went and I couldn't find a reason to stop. And then, um, you know, about a year later, um, I guess I proposed to, to my wife the day I graduated. So I was like, okay, well, I got a year about till we get married. And then, uh, when I get married now it's time to get sober. So I went hard that last year and I tried to quit on my own more times than I can count. Like I tried everything that people like me do, like just switching to beer, only drinking on the weekends, uh, staying off just the hard drugs, the marijuana maintenance program, like you name it. I tried it. Right. And that stuff I could, I could white knuckle small links of sobriety. Well, I say sobriety. I was always smoking weed at the very least, but you know, I, I could put together like, you know, a week or so of white knuckling life. And then I'm like, I'm good. Like I'm cured of this. I call I'll drink again. See, I'm not an alcoholic. I went a week without drinking, dude. Like alcoholics can't do that. I'm not an alcoholic. That's not me. And so I would just, you know, pick back up. And then before I know it, I'm drinking every single day again. And I'm drinking like, that's not like every single day. I'm drinking a lot. Like I would buy a bottle of whiskey, like, you know, like this size, like, and I would drink that in a day or a day and a half. And just thinking that's like normal, right? People do that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone did. And, um, you know, so I get married and that time comes and goes and I don't get sober. And I, I think for a lot of us, people like me, alcoholics, drug addicts, the, the big one for us is like kids, right? Like when my kids are born, not doing this, man, like this stops when the kids are born, this stops. And so for the nine months, my wife is pregnant and preparing for our daughter. Uh, I was, I was putting together a plan to taper off of drugs and alcohol and, and get sober. I wanted to be sober really bad. Um, and this is when shit got real for me, excuse my language. This is when things got real for me was, um, I tried to quit and I couldn't like genuinely tried to quit and I couldn't. And then when I would, when I would choose to use, I had no control over how much I would end up using like this, this craving, like this feeling in the pit of my stomach would kick in and I couldn't stop. And that's when I got scared. Um, so this would have been, I guess, summer 2012. Yeah. She was born in 2012. So, uh, you know, I, I had this plan. I was going to taper off of the pills. I was going to chill on the alcohol and I was going to be like this, like, you know, when you pick up a, a photo at Walmart, like a photo frame, that has got like this picture in there. Like that was going to be my family. We were going to be happy and lucid and bright, clear eyes. And that was going to be us. And that wasn't the case at all. Like I was more miserable than I'd ever been. Uh, what I didn't realize when I was using all those years, what I was doing was I was really stunting my development uh, emotionally. And what I tell people today, and, and I'll get to this in a moment, is that the greatest gift that sobriety has given me is it's allowed me to experience emotions from the beginning all the way to the end. Where emotions got uncomfortable, as soon as they got to a point where I was uncomfortable, I knew how to make that go away. And I would choose 100% of the time to make it go away. I knew how to, I knew how to make those feelings go away and it was easy, but what you don't realize, what I didn't realize I was doing was if I wasn't getting here, if I wasn't getting to the end of the emotion, then I wasn't learning how to deal with life. So when I got sober, I was 27 years old. And when I decided to get sober, I, I don't have some cool, like explosion story. Like, dude, I was running from the cops. It wasn't anything like that. It was, um, I was, I was on a trip to Las Vegas and I was still in this period of time where I was trying to quit. Like, that last six months I was using, it was literally me like frantically trying to find the magical elixir to stop using. 
and I couldn't figure it out. Like the withdrawals were so bad from opiates that your body would hurt so bad. It would just like, it was like getting beaten into submission. Okay, fine. I'll use, I'm tired of throwing up. I'm tired of not sleeping. I'm tired of my legs hurting and, sh- and sweating and the cold chills and all that. And, and the anxiety, like the shakes, like, um, like the, the physical piece of it was bad, but the emotional piece of it was even worse. Like as soon as something stressful happened, if I didn't have my pacifier, oh my gosh, man, like you didn't want to be around me. I was a mess, like throwing chairs across the room, breaking stuff, like just acting like a child with muscles, you know, it was awful. And so I, um, I was in Las Vegas for a conference and, um, I had really planned on stopping while I was like, this is going to be my last two raw. I was going to Vegas. It's a perfect end of the story. You know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to taper off. Uh, and, and uh, I took about a week's worth of supply with me. And like any good addict, I ran out the first night and um, emptied our bank account. And I don't remember any of it and waking up the next day. And, you know, throughout the process of being an addict, like we, we tell a lot of lies a lot of lies. I can't even remember how many lies I told to the people I love. And it was about, you know, lies, even white lies. It's, uh, you know, where I was at a certain hour, where the money went. Um, why do you keep getting cash out of the ATM? You know, there can only be so many cash only taco shops and gas stations in town. I had, I was running out of ideas and uh, I was just sick of lying to people that trusted me because they believed me, man. And that hurt like really bad. That killed me more than anything. Um, I was in Vegas and I don't remember getting all the money out of the bank. I don't remember spending the money I was told not to spend. I don't remember any of these things, but when I woke up the next morning, my phone's ringing, it's my wife and she's really, really mad. Like you can hear it in a woman's voice and you know, like when she's done with you, you just know it. And she was done with me. She's like, I'm just, I don't even know what to say anymore. And before I could muster up another lie, I just had this thought, why don't you just tell her the truth? Like This has gotten ridiculous. And I just, I was lucid enough and I was in enough pain to just be honest with her. And I told her, I have, a, I have a serious problem. She wasn't aware. I was hiding all this from everybody because I had, people were on to me at some point, but I was really good at hiding it. And so when people would kind of get on my trail, I just got better at hiding it. So you become like this master chameleon liar master liar where I was hiding everything from everybody and no one knew who I really was, including myself. Uh, and so I had this thought, you know, let me just tell the truth. And so I did. And, um, it wasn't pretty, you know, it was, I didn't know if I was going to be married when I got home. Um, but I needed help. I knew that. And so my wife gets in touch with the treatment center and, um, I didn't know what treatment was. Like, I just knew that celebrities went in there and they made fire movies when they got out, but I had no clue what took place in those, those, those plays, like only thing I knew about uh, 12 step programs, was what I had seen in fight club. That was about the gist of it. And that was very little. I didn't know anything about it. Um, my brother had gotten sober a couple of years before me. And I knew that he went to like some meetings and stuff, but I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew that he was, he seemed happy. So there was a little bit of hope there. And so I remember checking into this treatment center and like, just about as down and broken as I've ever been in my life. Um, miserable. There's this shame running through your body. It's like, I'm one of those people now. I remember thinking that to myself over and over, like, I'm one of those people. Crap. This is not what I had planned for my life. And just like, you know, just derailed. Like I had these grandiose ideas that I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 25 and I was going to, 
you know, set the world on fire and I was going to be this big hot shot and everyone was going to love me. And now I'm a drug addict checking into a treatment center. And there's no other way to say it. I mean, I, I knew at that point that I had a serious problem. I didn't know what to do about it anymore. I was lost. You know, my willpower had always been enough. And that's what scared me. My willpower had gotten me through school. It helped me through business. It got me the girl. It got me the cars, the houses, the family. It got me all these things. But I couldn't muster up enough of it to put down a bottle. Are you kidding me? Like, it was bigger than me. And that, that was scary for me. Um, I was really mentally unhealthy. And so I checked into treatment. And they kind of work, walk you through a course, the one I went to, of, like, cognitive behavioral therapy mixed with some spirituality, mixed with AA and, like, so I kind of have like this Franken recovery where it's like um, a bunch of those different things that kind of blend into what has amounted now to uh, over eight years of happy sobriety, you know, but it, the early days were really tough because like I said, I mentioned earlier, like not knowing how to process emotions, not knowing what a boundary was, not knowing anything about gratitude or what, how the world works or how I f- function in the world. Like I, all I knew was that, when things got stressful, I numbed out and I missed so much while I was asleep so much over those years, you know, but now it's, it's, um, I'm in the maintenance phase where, you know, I, I can hit a meeting now and then, um, but the, the spiritual work and the, the, um, the emotional work is every day. You know, I get up, um, I say some simple prayers, um, to a God that I understand, it's probably not a, you know, I couldn't even really tell you what God looks like to me. Uh, it's a mix of like Taoism and um, some bits and pieces of Christianity and some things that I kind of constructed on my own, but it works for me. Um, and then I go through some meditations and I, I read some positive thoughts and uh, take little pieces of, of things here and there. But you know, at the end of the day, it's, I'm happy and I'm free. I don't have to think about it anymore. There, I haven't thought about drugs or alcohol until you ask me. And that's how it goes most days, you know? And so whatever it is, it worked. And I'm happy for that. I'm grateful for that. And that's the biggest piece is I'm just grateful for it. Like people ask me, you know, what did you do? Or anytime I have like a, a yearly anniversary, people are really proud of me and I don't care. I'm just grateful. That's great. You, you can be proud. You stay proud of me. That's fine. But I never get into that cycle of being proud of myself. I'm just grateful. And I think as long as I can remain that way, then I'm going to be okay. Well, that is an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Matt. Uh, yeah. Journey from uh, you know the darkest parts up to uh, a happy life, even a highly disorganized one, but uh, happy nonetheless. Yeah. Happy. So that's good. Uh, so that that uh, I I just love the concept of. Uh, you know, how those drugs and alcohol really impacted your relationships, uh, your boundaries with others, your identity, uh, and your ability to express gratitude, um, and then how coming out of it allowed you to have uh, healthy boundaries and deep, meaningful relationships now built on trust, uh, and then a, a firm identity uh, for who you are, um, what you do, and, uh, and uh, your religious outlook as well. And then that, uh, that lesson of gratitude, just always being grateful for small things and big things alike. Uh, we can all find that and do more of that. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Uh, we really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's been great spending time with you today, man. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't keep it a secret. 
Share it with your friends and family. Tell everyone. Put it on Twitter. Uh, we'd love it if you give us a five-star rating and, and, and a review. Uh, we always love feedback. And then, of course, uh, like and subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get yours. As a reminder, Taylor Counseling Group is in the DFW area with offices from Dallas to Fort Worth and in Waxahachie as well. Uh, We are also now in the Houston and San Antonio areas as well. So if you or somebody you know might be interested in getting some counseling, feel free to give us a call, 214-530-0021. You can send us an email, info at taylorcounselinggroup.com, and you can look us up on the web at taylorcounselinggroup.com. You can find us on Twitter as well, at TCG underscore Dallas. So if you need us, we're here, but if not, no worries. I just hope you enjoy the show. Wow. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time and your thoughts. Um, so much to unpack, really, with Matt's interview. Uh, <laughs> in many ways, I don't really know where to start. Uh, so much about healthy boundaries and their navigating the dynamics of working with family. Uh, if, if you work with family or friends, um, I think there's probably a lot of really good lessons in there as far as having those strong boundaries, even in stressful relationships and stressful work relationships, being able to, you know, clock out, um, turn your phone off, not be tempted by emails and text messages when you go home and and just focus on you and your family. Uh, It's not an easy thing to do. Matt makes it sound so simple, um, but it's really anything but. But even more than that, though, with uh, his journey through recovery and his focus on uh, identity through religion and through, uh, you know, his personal ideologies of his approach to life. Uh, there's so much there uh, to learn from as far as how to move forward in the world, uh, how to decide your own identity and what brings meaning into your life. But I think for me, what I take home the most out of all this is that he has this beautiful focus on gratitude. And I think that's something that we easily overlook in our daily lives is this focus on gratitude. And while Matt is grateful for many things, his sobriety, his recovery, his relationship with his father, his own family. What I love is that he takes time out of his day, every day, to challenge himself and his family for what they are grateful for. And this is a practice I've begun adopting as well. I, I start my day off with a verbal acknowledgement and a written acknowledgement of what I'm grateful for. I take a moment and I write it down. And then in the evening, when I have dinner with my family, I ask them what they are grateful for from the day. And I share what I am grateful for. And I find this this verbalization of gratitude to be rewarding, but more so freeing. That it seems to free me from any of the negative energy of the day, any conflict, any frustration, any stress that I've had, uh, 
trying to control something that maybe I don't have control over, trying to push myself to do more, focusing on this concept, this simple concept of what I'm grateful for is liberating and freeing. So I hope you found some inspiration in Matt's story. Uh, if you or anyone you know is struggling with an addiction, uh, there are resources on our website at taylorcounselinggroup.com. Uh, and if you want to know more about gratitude, uh, keep listening to the podcast because many of these interviews seem to follow the same theme of gratitude. Before you go, I just want to take a moment to challenge you to think about, to reflect about what you are grateful for today. And I want to challenge you not to be general about it, not to say, oh, I'm grateful to be alive or I'm grateful for uh, my family or you know these, these general things, but be specific. What specifically are you grateful to be alive for? What, what specifically about today are you grateful for? Find that gratitude, cherish it, nurture it, share it as much as possible. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Taylor. I hope you've enjoyed these thoughts for yourself. Examination.